Good morning, church. How's everybody doing? Good. Thanks for being with us today. We continue our study in the book of Ephesians, Created to Do Good. And we've been taking one chapter a week. We're going to be in chapter 4 today. We're covering a lot of material. We could spend half a year on Ephesians. We could possibly spend longer. But we're looking at one chapter a week. So to understand a shift that's about to take place in chapters 4, 5, and 6, let me remind you of chapters 1, 2, and 3. Let me tell you about Ephesians. The people Paul was writing to were struggling. They were struggling with their identity. They were struggling with an inferiority complex. They didn't know who they were. So Paul's going to spend several chapters trying to convince them, show them, illustrate to them who they are. They're struggling from a lack of confidence. They're struggling from a lack of power. They're struggling from a lack of maturity. They're struggling in their relationships. And they're struggling in their lifestyle. They just quite, haven't quite figured out, how do you live this Christian life? What does this Christian life look like? And what's this whole empowerment deal? So they didn't understand, they didn't know, they didn't grasp how to live empowered lives. In other words, they're just like us. They didn't know who they were. They needed to mature in their faith. They needed to grow up and they needed to draw from the power of God. So he's going to spend three chapters reminding them who they are. Let me review. So in chapter 1, he uses all of these words. And he said, this is who you are. This is what you need to be feeding your mind. This is what you need to tell yourself because this is how God sees us. We're saints and faithful and blessed and chosen. We're predestined. We're adopted. We're sons. We're heirs. We're co-heirs. We're redeemed. We're informed. We're purposed. We're included. We're saved. We're marked. We're guaranteed. We're empowered. We are valuable. Again, you can read through chapter 1 and you, just, you get that same list. I just pulled those words out. And then he prays. He prays for the church and he says, I pray also that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That word that we're looking at is dunamis. That's where we get the word dynamite. So he wants us to know that God wants to empower us. God wants to explode in our lives so that we live empowered lives. The Ephesian church was struggling with that. We struggle with that. What does it mean to live an empowered life? So he illustrates. We get into chapter 2 and he says, here's what the power of God looks like and what the power of God does in our lives. But God. Two of the greatest words in all of the Bible. But God, because of His great love for us, who's rich in mercy, He made us alive. He raised us up. He seated us with. He saved us by His grace to show His incomparable riches and to show His grace. So He's illustrating this is who we are in Christ. This is what we need to be feeding our minds. This is what we need to be telling ourselves. And so He's trying to convince us, show us, this is who you are. He says in chapter 2, verse 10, Your translation may say we are God's workmanship. Here's another easy-to-read version. God has made us what we are. In Christ Jesus, God made us new people so that we would spend our lives doing good things. And he uses this kind of... I'm sorry. Let's go here. So he says God's got a plan. God's got a purpose. And God's purpose was to create in Himself one new humanity out of the two. You got Jews and you got Gentiles. You got people in the first century that didn't get along. You got people in the first century that sometimes hated each other. And God's purpose was to bring people together. Doesn't matter if they're rich or poor, doesn't matter if they're white or black, doesn't matter if they're Jew or Gentile. 
So God has a plan, and He's got a purpose, and here's what we find in chapter 2. Again, this is just language from chapter 2 if you read Ephesians 2. We're fellow citizens. We're members of God's household. We're reconciled together and joined together, and we're being built together, and we have access to the Father. We're God's workmanship. We are a dwelling place in which God lives. We are created in Christ Jesus to, to do good. We are empowered. Here's what he says in chapter 3, verse 10. God's plan, God's purpose, God's intent was that now, through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to His eternal purpose which He accomplished in Christ Jesus. We've been saying this. This is way bigger than just you and me. God's got a plan for, for the heavenly realms, places we don't see and comprehend. God's purpose is that everybody would know. I like this translation from the message. My task is to bring out in the open and make plain what God, who created all this in the first place, has been doing in secret and behind the scenes all along. Through followers of Jesus like yourselves gathered in churches. This is our plan. This is our purpose. If you're saying, I don't know what we should be doing. I don't know who we are. I don't know what we've been called to be. Through followers of Jesus like yourselves gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. So God's plan is, is just way so much bigger than us. It's way so much bigger than my individual life. It's way bigger than this church. It's way bigger than this earth. It goes beyond that. God's got a plan and God's got a purpose. And His purpose is that through us and through the church that we would display His power and show everybody who He is. And He prays again in chapter 3. Three times in chapter 3, I pray also that He may strengthen you with power, that you may have power, and I pray that according to His power. So He keeps talking about power, and He wants us to know that we should be living empowered lives. We should be living dunamis lives. We should be living dynamite lives, because God wants to infuse us with His strength to empower us each day. And then He shifts gears. So this is who you are. Here's three chapters. I've been trying to tell you this, who you are, who you are, who you are. Paul said, this is who you are, because... I'm fixing to tell you how you need to live. I can't tell you how you need to live until I tell you who you are. So he's told us. He's illustrated. This is who you are. And this is the power of God. And through the power of God, this is who you are. But he's going to shift gears. And he begins chapter 4. And six times in the next two chapters, he uses the same word. Let me illustrate. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. He says in chapter 17, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their thinking. He says in chapter 5, be imitators of God, therefore, and as dearly loved children and live a life of love. Now, live a life is one word, it's peripateo in the Greek. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And one more time he says, for you were, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. I think I missed one. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Be very careful then, so he's fixing to tell us in two chapters. Be very careful then how you live, how you walk, how you conduct yourself. The word means to maintain a certain walk of life and conduct. 
So in the New Testament, every time this word is used, it's the way believers behave or conduct their daily lives. Okay, three chapters, this is who you are. Three chapters, because of who you are, because of who we are, this is how we should walk. This is how we should live. This is how we should conduct ourselves. You can call them rules. You can call them commandments. But he says, Christian people ought to walk a certain way. And he uses some pretty strong language. Now, in order to understand that word, I want to show you where it's used in other places in the New Testament. Let me illustrate. In Romans 6, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may, there's our word, live, walk, conduct ourselves, behave a certain way, a new life. Romans 13, let us live decently, let us live becomingly like people who belong to the day. We should not have wild parties or be drunk. We should not be involved in sexual sin or any kind of immoral behavior. We should not cause arguments and trouble or be jealous. Why? Because Christian people don't walk that way. Because Christian people shouldn't live that way. Because of who we are, because God has called us, because God has invited us, that's not how we're supposed to live. He says in Galatians 5, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, For we live, walk, conduct ourselves by faith, not by sight. 1 Thessalonians 4, Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you now live. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. John 8, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never live walk, abide, stay in darkness, but will have the light of life. 1 John 2, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Interesting, it's translated two ways, and it's the exact same word, but it's given you different um, illustrations. 1 John 1, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. So he's trying to illustrate. This is what live looks like throughout the Bible. 2 John 6, and this is love, that we walk, live, conduct ourselves in obedience to His commands. In fact, he even uses this word two times in chapter 2. All right? As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. Walk, conduct yourselves. That's how you used to live. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance so that we would walk, so that we would live in them. So, Paul wants us to know. Paul's trying to illustrate that believers used to live this way, used to walk this way, used to conduct themselves this way, but now, as Christ followers, as people who've been empowered, as people who've been infused with God's strength, we now walk, we now live, we now conduct ourselves in a different way. Why? Why? Because through followers of Jesus like yourselves gathered in churches, this plan of God is being made known. How we live and how we walk displays God. That's why this is important. The way we live is either a demonstration of the power of God in our lives or it's a demonstration of who we are in our selfish desires. Either way, we're being a witness. So do we want to demonstrate ourselves or do we want to demonstrate God? 
Being a Christ follower means we learn to live a new way. So, in chapter 4, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. In chapter 1, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He's called you. Again, God has called us. God has invited us. God has adopted us. God has forgiven us. God has redeemed us. God has purposed us. And our calling, our purpose, our walk, our way of life should demonstrate a new behavior. We should be living a moral example to the world, we should be reflecting the character of Jesus Christ. Again, our calling is a witness to the world. Whether we're demonstrating the power of God in our lives or we're demonstrating our own selfish desires. And so that's who we are and that's how we've been called to live. So what does that look like? What does that look like? So in chapter 4, he's going to begin illustrating how to live a worthy life. What does a worthy life look like? How am I supposed to be living? How am I supposed to be walking? How am I supposed to be conducting myself? And he starts telling us in chapter 4. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort. We've looked at that before. That's a Greek, that's one word, spudazo. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Christian followers are called to live this way. And how we treat each other is the first step in becoming a Christ follower. If we can't treat each other this way, then we're demonstrating that the power of God's doing nothing in our lives. We are following Christ in name only, and we have not tapped into the power of God. So he says, unity is important. And we need to be humble and gentle and patient. How we treat each other is important. So if you keep going through chapter 4... Here's some things he says. He tells us to grow up. He tells us to be joined and held together in love. He says, don't live in futile thinking. Don't indulge in impurity. Put off your old self. Be made new in the attitude of your mind. Put on the new self. And if, if, if he hadn't got our attention yet, I don't know why this one never gets our attention, but he says... Let me give you a few more. I'm sorry. Put off falsehood. Speak truthfully. Don't let your anger cause you to sin. Don't give the devil a foothold. Stop stealing. Find some work. Do something useful with your hands. Share with those in need. And don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. I, I just, I can't for the life of me. I can't for the life of me figure out why we think it's okay to violate that verse. I just can't for the life of me. Other than we're demonstrating our own sinful desires and we're not just demonstrating the power of God in our lives. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I could preach a year on that. And that includes me. I could preach a year on that, and that includes you. We just seem to think, well, I'm just saying what's on my mind. I'm just speaking the truth. No, we're not. He keeps going. He says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as, Christ, just as in Christ God forgave you. So you need to read chapter 4 because it's powerful. It's penetrating. So why should we live this way? Why is He calling us to live this way? 
What difference does it make if my behavior changes? I like this illustration from Ray Steadman. It's important that Christians not be bickering, quarreling, and struggling against one another, filled with resentment and hate. A church that is like that is totally ineffective is a totally ineffective body in its community. A church has that kind of activity going on in its midst will have nothing to say to the world that the world will pay any attention to. So if we're gossiping and quarreling and, and tearing one another down, why, why, why would anyone, anybody want to come be a part of this body? We have no witness to the world. I don't want to go to that church. All y'all do is fight. All y'all do is gossip. All y'all do... That's why we've been called to live a different way. Remember, how we live, how we walk, how we behave is either a demonstration of our selfish desires or a demonstration of the power of God in our lives. Either way, we're being a witness to the world. Either way, we're being a good or a bad witness. So let me sum up chapter 4. This this is too small for you to read. I just went through and I grabbed every word from chapter 4. What are the qualities of a life worthy of the calling? What does that look like? Well, be humble and gentle and patient, forgiving, loving, keep the unity, use your gift, watch out for false teaching, speak the truth in love, grow up in Christ, be joined together in love, change your thinking, don't indulge in impurity, put off your old self, put on your new self, put off falsehood, speak truthfully, curb your anger, stop stealing, get a job, do something useful with your hands, learn to share, no unwholesome talk, build others up, don't grieve the spirit, get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, malice, be kind, compassionate, forgiving to each other. And and we're just doing that in one day. And we could spend weeks on that. This is not about go home and try harder. Well, I'll just try harder this week to be that way. I'm I'm not. Paul's not calling us to, to try harder. This is about a change of behavior that only comes through the power of God. That's the only way we're going to be able to live this way. Is through the power of God. Which is why Paul spent three chapters. I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying that you have strength, that you have His energy, that you can grasp how God wants to infuse us to live this way so that, so that the world will see Him and not us. That's what he's trying to talk about. He wants us to change our way of thinking. He wants us to change our values. Again, how does that happen? According to His power that is at work within us. That's the only way it happens. That's the only way it happens. That's the only way it happens is the power of God in our lives. And we as a church, we as churches of Christ for the most part, in my opinion, my two cents, we just haven't tapped into the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We just haven't. We're scared of it. We don't know what it is. The Holy Ghost? He's a, wait, He's a ghost? Is He an it? Is He holy? Is it God? Is it not God? How does the Holy Spirit work? We'll talk about that in a series that's upcoming, but the only way this happens is through the power of God in our lives. How do I get the power of God in my life? We read that in Romans 6 through baptism. We go down and we're buried. We put off our old self. We put on our new self, and we're raised to walk a new life. Listen, church, our primary call, our primary call is to declare and demonstrate the power of God. Our primary call is not to correct the evils of the world. Our primary call is to live a life that demonstrates the power of God. And the world will see. The world will see. We sing this song. He's able. He's more than able. 
to accomplish what concerns me today, to handle anything that comes my way, to do much more than I could ever dream, to make me what He wants me to be. So maybe your prayer, maybe my prayer, maybe our prayer is, God, would you infuse me with your power? I don't understand it. I don't know how it works. I don't have to know how it works. But you promised me that when I become a Christ follower, that you would dwell in me and live in me and empower me and infuse me. And I pray that you would make that work. And I pray that I would step back to allow you to do so much more than I could ever ask or imagine. So Paul says, this is who you are. And church, we're called to live a certain way. No more excuses, no more justification, no more... We're called to live a certain way. Listen, Paul's not beating around the bush. Ephesians is hardcore, straight to the heart. This is who we are, and this is who we've been called to be. So this week, we need to demonstrate the power of God. Let's pray.